Welcome to the Future of Investing. This podcast series on investing in the post-COVID-19 reality is part of the Investment Member Club. This club, an initiative by Fonds News, is an exclusive network created for and consisting of independent asset managers in the Netherlands with the purpose of sharing knowledge and experience and as such advancing the market. IMC membership is facilitated by Schroeders, BNP Paribas Asset Management and Invesco. In this episode, thematic investing is making waves. Thematic funds focus on powerful, long-term global trends that are transforming the world and create a wealth of investment opportunities. As we explore this topic, we are looking to answer two fundamental questions. How do you separate the speculative from the structurally sound ideas? And what are the pros and cons of using, using thematic strategies as building blocks for your investment portfolio? My name is Marije Groen, and today I'll talk with David Doherty, Investment Director Thematics at Schroeders, and Han Dieperink, Independent Investor, Advisor, and former Chief Investment Officer at Rabobank. We'll be discussing the long-term global trends that are transforming the world and create powerful investment opportunities right now. So why investing, thematic investing? David and Han, welcome to this podcast. It's really great to have you. David, let's just kick right into it with a question that is probably on every thematic investor's mind. In your view, what are the themes that can simply not be ignored in the coming years? And why is that? Well, well thank you for, for having me today. Um, just a little bit of background on how we think about uh, thematic investing at, at Schroeder's. We think the most powerful themes are those where human ingenuity ignites innovation. And that innovation addresses imbalances in the world, whether between populations and resources or maybe between supply and demand in individual industries. And one of the areas right. where there is a big imbalance between populations and resources, we think, is climate change. So for us, climate change and the energy transition are important themes going forward. Right. Okay. So that's where we should put our money then. In, in recent years, we've actually seen a lot of growth toward uh, thematic strategies. Now, how do you define which themes are here to stay, David? What are the key drivers in selecting the right strategies? It's a very good question. Uh, one of the, the things that we think is important is to just remind ourselves of, of, a, of a kind of overarching framework of thinking. So thinking about how, how that ingenuity that I mentioned is actually being employed to resolve these important imbalances. But although it might seem slightly counterintuitive, we think that history is actually a very good guide of what f themes will have longevity in the future. And so I suppose you could almost call it understanding the history of the future. And, and I suppose what we mean by that is that quite a few of the things that have driven humanity over the years, um, thousands of years, in fact, they'll be the things that continue to drive us. So we've seen over centuries lots of examples of innovation in consumer behavior, manufacturing, cities, healthcare, And we think... They mattered to people then, they matter now, and they think they'll ma we think they'll matter again in the future. So, so for us, actually, looking back at the past is a really important part of the discipline. And then, of course, applying a valuation discipline to the themes um, going forward as well. Nice, I like that. So we should understand the history of the future. That's a good phrase. Uh, Han, you have years of experience in selecting thematic funds at Rabobank. How did you distinguish the trends from the hypes? 
Uh, well, a trend can become a hype. And the uh, thing with hypes is that usually uh, is, is identified as a bubble. And then bubbles, of course, they start always in reality. There's some type of disruptive technology or a fundamental change, some type of displacement. And with enough liquidity, then there will be a boom. And because of, the, well, not normally a convincing narrative. And after the boom phase, it usually peaks in uh, euphoria. That's where people get rich. But of course, right. after the boom, there will be a bust and um, there's a crisis. And after that crisis, there will be even a phase of revulsion where people don't like anything about what was originally the hype. Uh, and that could be interesting for thematic investors because the ultra low valuations at that point of time, of course, still is, is an interesting point of view. So for thematic investors, uh, a hype creates both opportunities and risks. So you can make a lot of money, of course, in the boom phase, but you can lose it all in the crisis. So you have to watch the valuations, if they're still justified, it's not the easy part, but also you can watch the sentiment. Um, so a lot of thematic investors look at the Gartner hype cycle. So if we're at the peak of the hype cycle, that's not the way the point you to get in. And right. you have to be a bit of a contrarian. And of course, we all know that it's not easy to time markets or to time investors, but certainly also with thematic investments, you can fade in or fade out. So based on valuation and based on sentiment, I think, uh, yeah. Right. And, and I understand that you are a very much a strong believer of the thematic approach and you believe that a division between maybe regions and sectors has become obsolete. Why is that? Well, of course, a lot of asset managers originally are offering regional funds or regional products. But what we've seen, of course, is the result of globalization. A lot of companies are active worldwide. So if companies listed in the Netherlands, that does not mean that they have any activities in the Netherlands. So for instance, in the Netherlands, we have ASML. They don't sell any machine in the Netherlands. They also sell all the machines in Asia, but ASML is not an Asian company. Um, same as you see with uh, stock markets. Um, stock markets have merged and and certainly companies like to be listed at the most liquid marketplaces, but that marketplace does not need to be some in the region where all the activities are. So a regional approach is more and more difficult. Uh, the other thing is, of course, you can have a sector approach, but a sector typically is only five or 10% of the total universe. And if you try to outperform then a sector, you have a very narrow base. And we'd like to have, as an active investor, you like to have a, a, a reasonably broad uh, array of, uh, of, of companies to, to select from. And evolve from the sector funds have been, uh, evolved have been the, the, uh, the thematic funds. And the thematic funds, they look in different sectors along the value chain, where for uh, an investor value is added actually in that chain. And that's the, well, that has evolved actually from how sector funds have uh, have changed maybe over time. Right, right. Uh, so let's, let's now take a closer look at uh, thematic investing and the asset allocation. Uh, Han, do you actually think that thematic funds will become a building block in traditional asset allocation or will they simply remain the alpha generating satellites that they currently are on their own? Uh, well, the, the things are changing. Certainly, if you look in the Netherlands, that if you look at the core of a typical portfolio, there are, these are well-diversified funds, maybe even passive funds. But certainly in the Netherlands there, you see that uh, there's a lot of ESG screening. So that is a more mainstream going from uh, ESG of sustainable investing. And if you look at a typical ESG screen that is maybe an X5, 
exclusion of five or ten percent of the stocks. If you go a big step further, then you have an SRI fund or an SRI base, and then you already exclude seventy-five percent of the universe. And it's and then it's only a small step to go to go to impact investing. And impact investing is a very concentrated portfolio, and that looks more similar towards a thematic investment, which is also a concentrated portfolio. So you see now an involvement in in, in uh, the the core evolving towards a more thematic type of approach almost. But uh, typically in a portfolio, you see that it's used as a satellite, as something that uh, it's more uh, on on the side and not at the core of the portfolio. But it's more intermingled. So maybe in the future, there will be a building blocks at the core with uh, more thematic funds. Could change. Right. You're mentioning sustainability already, which is obviously, I think, a huge topic in investing overall. To what extent can clients achieve their personal sustainability goals by investing thematically? It's quite interesting when we look at uh, investing in individual companies across our range of thematic funds, we're always looking to see whether those companies will succeed or fail within their chosen themes. And a mm-hmm. big element of that, of course, is, is whether they have sustainable business models. The very themes that these companies are trying to access are themselves responding to imbalances and challenges in society. So, yeah, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. Right. I get it. I get it. So, uh, Han, how do you then determine if a certain theme actually fits the investment portfolio and the events, the investment policies of a certain uh, client? Uh, well, if to be a theme, or it should be a structural trend, and that's not that easy to identify because uh, it should not be an upward phase in the economic cycle. So, structural trends go on for many years, and they typically grow much faster than the overall uh, economy, and that makes structural trends, of course, less sensitive towards the uh, to, to the economic cycle. Uh, and in the early phase of a trend, typically investors underestimate the potential. So if you look at, uh, for instance, uh, sell-side analysts, they make uh, projections about earnings. And the first couple of years, they make their estimations. And at the, well, the long term, they fade that estimations out towards what more aligned with the economic growth. So, and the typical thing with a a thematic investment or a structural trend is that at the point where a a, a bottom-up or or a sell-side investor says, well, this is fading out towards more normal economic growth, then you see that the uh, thematic investment or the structural trend is more going exponential. So that's more the phase where the growth is much stronger than everybody had expected. And of course, that's the interesting part where the boom phase starts. So you have to uh, look at these these structural trends and identify them and make an investment case and get rid of the blind spots. And then it fits in the portfolio. And of course, the nice thing with individual clients is that uh, the thematic funds also are easy for storytelling or financial entertainment. And it sounds a bit of a marketing type of gimmick, but you see... So what do you mean by that? Well, of course, you, you, you tell a story and all invest are actually more or less narratives. The people don't mm-hmm. look at the whole picture, all, all the information. They have to believe the narrative. And what you see is that right. be- because they believe in the narrative, the last funds they sell if they want to sell their portfolio are thematic funds. And it's also the reason why people stick during a correction. They don't trade out or in because they believe in the long-term trend. So even if the thematic fund does not outperform the long-term trend, 
uh, that out of the, 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 the long-term index, they still outperform because they don't sell at the wrong point or buy at the wrong point because they stick to their investments. So it's helping creating good portfolios. Right, right. Uh, now, David, I can imagine that as an investor, it can be very challenging to actually prioritize all the themes because you have to make uh, decisions based on imperfect information and maybe diverging uh, points of view. How do you go about this? Um, I, I like your um, initial question there that um, imperfect information, that's, that's always an issue in markets, of course. And I'd, I'd go as far as to say that divergent views, not only they, an integral part of of an institution, but they're, they're actually probably a very healthy thing as well. So, but, but you're, you're quite right, it is difficult to, to challenge, uh, to prioritise. And what we think is important is really to have a, a framework of thinking. That That's important. Uh, I touched on the way that we think about thematic uh, funds and, and themes earlier. But I think it's it's and as how does such a framework? What, what is such a framework like? What, what yeah. does that look like? Well, the kind of things we'd be looking at was with that uh, basic um, infrastructure that I was talking about earlier about the importance of ingenuity, igniting innovation to, to resolve imbalances. That's that's crucial, and and we think that if if themes aren't doing that. Um, whether it be supply and demand in individual industries or population resource imbalances, then we mustn't be afraid to reject themes. So I think it's it's almost as important to reject as it is to to take on. But then after that, the kind of criteria that we were looking for, and Han touched on it when he was talking earlier, is we're looking for longevity um, of, of theme. We're looking for a universe of stocks which is neither too narrow nor too wide. And I think it's important to get that balance right. So we'll be using uh, data insights and information to build up robust universes that aren't just here today, gone tomorrow. We need to keep that valuation discipline because we're looking for upside. We're here to, to make money out of the themes. But I think the bit that's, that it, uh, is very, very important is to make sure that we have that internal belief, passion and expertise in a theme. So there is a very practical element of we might come across a theme, think it sounds okay, but if it doesn't meet those criteria, the universe that we want, the robust universe, the expertise in-house, then we mustn't be afraid to reject it. Right. So you have to be bold at times, I can imagine. Yeah, and that helps, that helps the prioritisation process, yes. I, I understand. So, um, Han, thematic investing is also possible with ETFs or the so-called trackers. Um, is active management necessary for this type of strategy? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it can only be active, but I see a thematic ETF as an active fund, actually. So the only uh, passive ETFs is that buy the whole world or the whole index. Uh, and if you have an, a, th a thematic ETF, you only buy a small part. So somebody else does the selection. The difference is that active decisions in an ETF are not made by the portfolio managers, but they are implemented in the design of the product. Uh, David, and do you then think that active thematic portfolio managers are somehow better at distinguishing the winners from the losers? Um, I, I think I would agree, agree with what Han was saying. I mean, there's, there's never a guarantee that um, by... Um, active that you'll necessarily get it right by definition but um, th there's no inevitability about it but we believe that active thematic investing is the best approach and the reason for that is that um, our themes if they're as powerful as we believe them to be they mustn't be constrained by index weightings of stocks sectors and regions and that an active approach therefore is essential in terms of distinguishing between winners and losers so in the early days 
of a theme. Um, we can buy meaningful holdings in undervalued companies that may be a small percentage of an index. Han was touching on that a minute ago, as the theme is developing and before it's priced in. So that that's a very valuable um, opportunity that Active offers. And by the same token. And an active thematic manager is free to avoid stocks which might have then become a really quite large part of a thematic index with success. So again, potentially being forced into buying overpriced securities. So for us, active does make that make it um, far easier to distinguish between winners and losers. And it's a far more proactive and forward-looking approach, we believe, um, than the potentially backward-looking index-based approach. Yep, I agree. Okay, okay. So, so we, you agree, Han? Yeah. And, and as we all know, the investment world is all about risk and return. So we've looked a bit at the opportunities. Let's maybe now look, uh, take a closer look at the risk side of the equation. Uh, and David, one of the risks I see with thematic investing is behavioral. Uh, so how can investors stay disciplined and maybe not carried away once they found a theme that they like? Yeah, I think we, we'd all agree that uh enthusiasm is an attractive trait and the enthusiasm <laughs> for a theme I think is is a good thing provided that you've gone through the hard work of of, of the filtering of, as to what themes that you want to invest in but mm. it, it can't be done at the expense of, of discipline and I, I would say that uh, thematic investing is is investing and not to, to feel that there's some kind of mystique about thematic investing that makes the the desire to it's stay different from any other type. Yeah, t- totally. So so understanding the relationship between fundamentals and valuation is is imperative, just as it is in every other kind of investment. So you know, planning scenarios, testing oneself as to where a theme might come unstuck. Even you know, when a theme is actually going very well, are we being asked to pay too much for it? So so the discipline piece is is, is crucially important, and I think that's how we. We try and stay disciplined. Mm, yeah, this also ties in with the framework you mentioned before, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. And and how do you then manage the uh, the risk in a global and unconstrained investment universe, as is the case with thematic uh, strategies? How do you do that? Yep, that's, that's a good question. That in a global and unconstrained universe, then there are plenty of opportunities to make positive returns, but but obviously they can never be guaranteed. So. We need to understand and realize, I think it's important to realize that themes aren't operating in a vacuum, that there's a, a number of risks that are at play in a theme. So there's the fundamentals and the valuation piece that I, I mentioned earlier. And there are other issues like you know market factors, styles, the place we are in the macroeconomic cycle, that themes are never immune from all of these things. And I think it's it's crucially important to realise that um, that that there may be a long term energy and power about a theme, but that it will not necessarily be immune from bumps in the road on the way. And just trying to understand what those influences are, I think it makes it makes it an easier task to insulate yourself from those setbacks. Hmm. 
Mm. Uh, and Han, I think thematic investing, it can involve a high concentration maybe of, of market sensitive names or a high concentration in a single industry. How do we avoid putting all our eggs in one basket? Um, well, I don't mind concentrated portfolios. I think any, don't. <laughs> in, act, no, active, in, active managers should have a, a very concentrated portfolios. The problem with well diversified portfolios with a low tracking area is that they have difficulty competing with ETFs. So you buy the market and try to outperform the market by buying the market and, and charging more costs. That's 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 difficult. But in a concentrated portfolio, you have more opportunities for that. And of course, in a portfolio for a rent investor, there are maybe different themes. So there's some type of diversification. And even if you're constrained by a low ex-ante tracking error, you can buy in, maybe have a passive investments with thematic satellites and a well-diversified core. Uh, the problem, of course, is that diversification in itself is, if you do it that much, it's a protection against ignorance. And if you want to have an active portfolio, you have to make choices. Yeah, and so it's again if you, about that bold decision, probably. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you don't make the choices, you get market returns. So if you have active choices and thematic portfolios is all about making the right choices in the long term. So I don't mind the concentration. I, Of course, it's always how much is allowed by your supervisor or by your client. Because there's always this discussion about being not to deviate too much from the index. But that's in the end, it's not the, the wise decision, I think. David, how do you feel about that? Well, I think that the valuation piece is is absolutely uh, critical, and you know, as we remember, I'm old enough to to remember the um, the internet bubble period where there's a lot of overexcitement, lots of companies failed, yeah. but a lot of companies were actually yeah. have continued to be very successful, but they were just the wrong price. So one of the challenges I think with thematic investing is that a, a, a theme might have fundamentally a very long runway, but clearly yeah. markets like to discount ahead. So you know, mm -hmm. the, the railroad stocks were peaking a long time before the railroads stopped growing, for example. So right. it's mm -hmm. really important to get that discipline right between the, the long-term fundamentals and what's being priced in now. So I suppose I'd go back to my earlier point really is, is not to think of, of th thematic um, investing as some sort of mystical different style of investing. All of the normal disciplines should apply. Uh, David, I think we probably saved one of the most compelling questions for last is um, the current Corona crisis has definitely changed the way we work, uh, how we operate, how we consume. Uh, did it also change uh, the thematic investing approach? Um, for us, we, we've always felt that um, thematic investing, as I, I touched on before, it's all about responding to these imbalances in the world, the, the population, the resources, the, the supply demand imbalances. We think that's Im imperative in, in thematic investing. And, and the sadness and the, the tragedy of, of COVID has obviously hit the whole world. And it, it's been, in, in a thematic sense, it's meant that we've had to mobilize all of our powers of ingenuity and innovation to solve a whole series of problems. So providing scarce resources to protect, protect our populations and also to tackle dislocated supply and demand in, in virtually all, all of the industries. So if we look across the themes that we find attractive at the moment, in, in all of them, humanity's been trying to respond to this. So we're seeing that in you know, the disruption theme, healthcare, 
urbanization the way we we lead our lives the, the way we behave and then of course you know manufacturers are now trying to work out ways to make themselves more insulated from supply and demand dislocation in the future so all of these themes have been important and, and not least of course the way that companies deal with the wider stakeholders in in society at a time where we've all been trying to to work together to get out of this problem so so i would say that thematic investing has been has been underwritten and reinforced by by what has happened lately by what's currently happening yeah and and what is your outlook on for the uh, for thematics i think the corona crisis has actually accelerated already existing trends so there were things before the corona crisis that you thought well this is maybe something for the future and it now is much more accelerated because of the crisis itself uh, everybody now starts online working online learning online shopping is more intense than it was before and as i mentioned earlier the world is confronted with several crises currently is the climate change, the environment, the access to clean water, safe food, the energy transition. And I think in the future, solving these crises creates opportunities for companies, but also for investors and making a lot of money on these, what I think are structural trends because they will go on for years. And uh, given the fact that uh, also ESG investing is going mainstream, makes that a lot of investors will select companies that are maybe in thematic portfolios. So the flows are also being with you and if the flows are not with you then maybe governments will take measures that where these companies in these thematic portfolios benefit from. So if you look at, for instance, climate change, then if you have a carbon tax, well, you better look at your carbon footprint. And typically in a thematic fund where you have these type of investments, then they benefit from this these type of regulations. So I think it's a great future ahead for thematics. Again, understanding the history of the future, I'd say. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for listening to The Future of Investing, a podcast series by the Investment Member Club on investing in the post-COVID-19 reality. The Investment Member Club is an initiative by Fonds News. Membership is facilitated by BNP Paribas Asset Management, Invesco and Schroders. I would like to thank today's guests, David Doherty, Investment Director Thematics at Schroders, and Han Dieperink, Independent Investor, advisor and former chief investment officer of Rabobank for their time and insights. For more podcasts, please visit the website of Fonts News, fondsnews.nl forward slash podcast. Schreuders, belangrijke informatie. De standpunten en meningen die in deze podcast opgenomen zijn, zijn die van David Doherty. En vertegenwoordigen niet noodzakelijkerwijs standpunten die worden geuit of weerspiegeld in andere communicatieuitingen, strategieën of fondsen van scheuders. Deze podcast is uitsluitend bedoeld ter informatie. Het materiaal is niet bedoeld als een aanbod of een uitnodiging tot aankoop of verkoop van een financieel instrument.